Good morning again to each of you. Greetings in the name of Jesus this morning. I had the privilege of having James as a student for two years at Lebanon Valley. And (laughs) James is kind of nervous right now. Um, (laughs) James was one of those students who always had lots and lots of energy and lots and lots of ideas. And uh, I remember having discussions about you, James, with other teachers. We always said, James, if he gets that energy turned around in the right direction, it's going to do a lot of amazing things. So, James, it's a blessing to see you going out and getting ready to serve God over in in Asia. Um, Blessings as you go. It's exciting. So this morning, I thought in light of the fact that James is being sent this morning, um, this morning's message is going to deal maybe a little bit more with uh, a mission mindset. And I've titled the message, The Laborers Are Few. Throughout history, there have been some very important inventions that have really, really shaped mankind and shaped the history of the world and kind of really affected um, society as a whole. And one of those inventions was by a man um, whose name was Cyrus McCormick. Does anybody know what, what Cyrus McCormick invented? The reaper. Um, It was said that before the invention of the reaper, a man could harvest half an acre of wheat per day. And then after his invention came along, they could do 15 acres a day, which is an incredible um, change in how harvesting was done and how they um, went out and took the the crops. When we lived in Nicaragua, um, there was a few... I guess you could call them combines, that people use to harvest things. Um, The first time I saw one, I wasn't even exactly sure what it was, except for the piece that was attached to the front end. I deducted that it was actually a combine. I mean, it had been stripped down, so it was basically just the main part of the combine and the head that was on it. Um, So there was a little bit of that. But for most of the people, the way that they actually harvested things was they would go out and manually harvest it. And that included things like whole fields of corn. Um, They would actually go out with sacks. They would tie a sack on their side, and they would go through the field, and they would actually pick it by hand. That's how most of the people did it, because they didn't have enough money to actually um, hire somebody to come in and harvest their crops for them. So today, when when we look at Scripture, and when Jesus, we're going to look at the verse where Jesus talks about the laborers being few, we kind of have a skewed view of it because we don't really understand exactly um, the context that Jesus was talking about. But Jesus, when he was talking with the people and he said that the laborers are few, he was saying how when you look out and you see the harvest, the harvest is there, it is ready, but he needs people to go out and get it. And he was talking about people actually going out and manually harvesting those crops. Let's go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, and I'd like to read this verse and a couple of verses preceding it. Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. Matthew 9, verse 35 says this, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. 
But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Here we have kind of um, Jesus' whole ministry just encapsulated in these couple of verses. It talks about how Jesus went about all of these um, cities and villages and he did three things. He taught in their synagogues, he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he went around healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When you see this example of Christ, as Jesus was there and he was doing these things, it says in verse 36 that he looked out over the multitudes and he was moved with compassion because it says they were as sheep without a shepherd. In other words, there wasn't anybody who was there that was willing to care for them, step in and help them when they were vulnerable. There was nobody to do it. As you and I look out over the world, and we look over, out over the, the condition of the world, there are lots and lots of people who are in the same state, who are as people who have no shepherd. People who, they don't really have anybody to give them any type of direction. Nobody to step in and lead them. Jew and I as Christians are called to do the same three things that Christ did here in his ministry. We are called to teach, we are called to preach, and you and I are called to be examples of compassion and reach out to people. You and I are called to teach as people who are called to, um, to explain to them salvation Explain to them how to be saved. We are called to preach. In other words, we are called to take the word of God, break it apart, and explain it to them so they can understand it. And you and I are called to have compassion on people who are lost without Christ. When we lived in Nicaragua, it was interesting talking with people and answering their questions about why we had come to Nicaragua. Um, Lester's sitting here, so I want to be careful what I say, but uh, we often used to have discussions about if you started a mission in Nicaragua, you definitely wouldn't pick the area where we were, but that was where God led people, and we felt that God had called us there, and so we embraced it. But there were other parts of the country that were much prettier, and people would often say to us, you know, like, it, you know, if you came to Nicaragua, why did you come to this area? Um, my wife had a conversation one day with a lady um, about the area where we lived. We lived in an area called El Terrero, and we would often go to a little town close by called Malpaisio to buy our groceries and other things. And um, one day we were in Malpaisio, and a lady was talking with my wife, and she said, so, so where do you live? And she was like, oh, we live out in El Terrero. And the lady was like, El Terrero? Like... What are you doing out there? Like the people out there, you know, they're, they're horrible people. You know, they're, they take things and um, they just don't appreciate anything that you do for them. What are you doing out there? And my wife was like, Ex excellent question. You know, what are we doing out there? 
And she went on and she explained to them part of how God had led us there and you know, some of the reasons why we were there and, and talked about our, our desire to start a church there. And she was like, well, you know, that's really, really um, interesting. But some of the people, when we talked with them, would simply raise the question like, why did you come from America to Nicaragua? Like, you left behind your, your families. Um, they understood that we left behind jobs and all of that. And they would often ask questions in regards to that. And when you and I go out into the world and... Some people are called to foreign missions, some are not. But for each of us, when we think about the sacrifices that we make for the kingdom, what is the motivating factor behind it? What motivates us to go out and share the gospel? What motivates us to go out and, and preach the gospel to people? When I look at individuals and we look at the condition of the world, our hearts should be gripped with compassion for where they are and for their need for Jesus Christ. Let's flip over to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 20. says this, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The first verse that I read, Paul says here that the love of Christ constraineth us, or it controls us. The love of Christ in our lives is what has changed us and moved us from who we were into who we are now. As we read over these verses, we see the result of the work of Christ in our lives. We are made new. Old things are passed away. You and I have become something that is completely different. Then in verse 20, Paul says this, You and I have become ambassadors for Christ. You and I are called to be the representatives of Jesus Christ in this world. Because of what has happened in our lives, there is a change of allegiance where you and I before were committed to following whatever we wanted, 
But now because of the work of Christ in our lives, as an act of love and service to him, we become his representatives in the world. Whether that's here in right in the area where we live or if it's on the other side of the world. Wherever we are, you and I are called to be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as he was talking with his disciples, said clearly in verse 37 of Matthew 9 that the harvest truly is plenteous. There are many areas where we can go and minister to people. And in our world today, right now in the United States of America, the United States has rapidly moved from a majority Christian nation to a point where Christians are now in the minority. And some people can sit back and say, it's a disaster that America is now, that Christians are now in the minority, which there is a certain amount of um, maybe fear that that brings, maybe a certain amount of anxiety, but at the same time, what that does for you and I is increase the opportunities that we have to be examples, to be a light, to be a witness to the world. You and I have opportunities to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. As I look over history and I look at the examples of people who have followed Christ, there are many examples that I see as being crystal clear where people were willing to stand up and say, I am an ambassador for Christ. I am willing to die for that cause. Some of the examples that we have in history are people in the time of the Roman Empire where they had a choice that they needed to make where were they willing to give their life for Christ or were they willing to renounce it all? And so many of them stood faithful and said, I am willing to go to the Colosseum. I am willing to be thrown out before lions because I understand that I am called to give my life in sacrifice for Christ. I am willing to make that choice. I am willing to give it all. And it goes back to the verses that I read in 2 Corinthians where they understood the sacrifice that Christ had made for them, and they were saying, I am willing to give it all. Christ here in Matthew is saying that the harvest truly is plenteous. There is lots of harvesting to be done, but the laborers are few. One of the questions that I ask, as we look at this idea of the laborers being few, one of the questions that I ask is, is the problem of not having enough laborers related to the fact that you and I have lost sight of the work that Christ has done for us? Have I lost sight of the sacrifice that Christ made for me as an individual? In other words, Am I saying, yeah, I get it that Christ died for me. I understand that I, need to, that I need to serve him. Have I lost sight of the awesomeness, the tremendous cost that Christ paid to secure our salvation? Have I lost sight of that? And could it be tied back to the fact 
that there isn't many laborers. I have never been in a position where I was asked to go and ask other people to serve on the mission field. But I've had enough of conversation with people who have to understand some of the, maybe the excuses that people can make for not going out onto the mission field. And I'd like to look at some of them this morning. One of the things that I've heard people say is that I don't feel called to go onto the mission field. As you think about your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you think about what he has done for you, how much more of a calling do we need to give our lives in service for Christ? Now, I understand that not everybody is going to be called to foreign missions, but I'm talking about even opportunities right here, right around us. Are we ignoring those things because we say, well, that's not really who I am, or I just, I just don't feel specifically called to that? As you look at Scripture, time and again, God used common individual people to accomplish great things. And sometimes God had to push them to get them to go and do what he wanted them to do. God can open and God can close doors, but I believe that you and I are called to give our lives in service for Christ wherever it is, simply because of what he has done for us. And if God asks you to do something maybe outside of your comfort zone, allow him to lead you to it. God can open and God can close doors as he needs to. This leads me to my second thing. A lot of people that I have talked to who said that, yes, we were asked to go on the mission field or we were asked to do this, one of the things that they, they say is, well, I didn't feel like it was the right time. It just didn't feel like I was at the right place in life. When we lived in Nicaragua, I had a conversation with somebody at a pastor's conference who had been on the mission field for about uh, 15 years, if I remember correctly at the time. And I asked him, well, how did you decide to go onto the mission field for that long? And he just kind of laughed and he said, well, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Um, he said they asked us to come onto the mission field to fill in for somebody. It was supposed to be three months. And then at the end of those three months, they asked us to stay longer. And so we decided to stay longer. And he said that just kind of kept repeating itself. And now we've been here for 15 years. He said the truth is, is when they asked us to go, I was thinking we can give about three months and that's about it because I had other plans that I wanted to do, other things that I thought I wanted to accomplish. As we think about going and serving Christ, I think sometimes we can say, well, we'll wait until this time in life. We'll wait until I'm older. We'll wait until I'm more stable financially, whatever. But the thing of it is, is when we're saying that, I feel like we're limiting God's ability to work in our lives. God, again, has the ability to work in our lives to open doors and to close them. 
If God wants us to do something for him, it's always the right time. The right time is right now. Jesus said that the harvest truly is plenteous. We all understand that if the harvest stands in the field for too long, there's a time where it's no longer going to be any good. And when Jesus is saying this, he's saying it with a sense of urgency. He's saying right now, the harvest is ready. The time is now. Are you and I willing to go out and serve him? As I look specifically at the idea of foreign missions and some of the needs that are needed out on the foreign field, there's a couple of things that come to mind as I look at that. One of the things that I believe that we need out on the foreign field, what we need more of, is families. And the reason I say that is because it was amazing to myself when my wife and I went onto the field, we had very young children. And it was interesting the conversations that we had with people about our children. First of all, it was something that helped with conversation, just talking about life. And for us, because we were learning a foreign language, it was extremely helpful to have something that was common ground that we could use to expand our vocabulary. So that was something that was a tremendous blessing, going out on the field with family. But the other thing that it did was our family was something that other people could look at for an example of what a godly family should look like. And this was something that a lot of, of the native people talked to us about. The blessing of being able to see a family and how a godly family should function. It's something that's a powerful testimony. So when it comes to the idea of timing and waiting till just the right time, I believe that God can use all ages of people and specifically the idea of families. The other thing that I saw on the mission field, and this was my personal observation, was the need for older people. When I was on the mission field, um, the team that I worked with specifically, I think at that time, the oldest person was just a little bit younger than what I am right now. We were extremely young. And I remember the advice of older people as they came onto the mission field and interacted with us that was extremely helpful. But it would have been even more helpful if some of those same individuals could have been there with us and given us instruction and guidance. So I believe that there is a place for older couples on the mission field. I remember uh, while we lived there, one of the other couples that was, was living there with us, they didn't live right in the same area that we did, but they went back to the States for um, their furlough, which if I remember right, they were gone for about three months. And there was an older couple that we knew that moved down to fill in for them over that time. And they were such a blessing to us as younger families. It was... It was so much fun seeing our children connect to them and have 
grandparents in their lives because that was something that they didn't have. It was a blessing for our children and it was a blessing for us as younger couples because they gave us so much help. They gave us instruction and they, just, they spoke into our lives in a way that other people couldn't. One of the couples that really blessed our lives when we were on the mission field, um, some of you might know Bob and Medea Miller. Um, they came to Nicaragua for a week of revival meetings about three months or so after we had moved there. And it was over a time where we as a family were just, we were going through a really difficult time. Um, when you're on the foreign field and you're learning a foreign language, you kind of reach a point where it gets really, really discouraging because it feels like you're just kind of, I don't know, you're just caught in the middle where you're not really advancing and you're just kind of stuck. Right about that time um, that they came, I had a conversation with somebody at church one evening. Um, I was talking to one of the young guys. He was about 18 years old. And I was trying to talk to him in Spanish. And he was asking me these questions, and I was just having difficulty understanding what he was asking, and I kept giving him the wrong answer. Some of the people were really, really forgiving. When they would ask a question and you just completely botch it, they'd laugh it off and kind of move on to the next thing. But I, he just kept pushing me, and I, and I was like, finally, I was just like, I, sorry, I, I just don't, I don't understand what you're saying. And his response to me was, you're just like a baby. He's like, I'm trying to say this to you, and you're just not getting it. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. I, I know that I'm just, I'm frustrating to you, but that's just the way that it is. And that's kind of how the language felt right at that time. And Baba Medea came down to have the week of revivals. And Bob's encouragement was just exactly what I needed. I remember him telling Laura and I, he's like, when you go to church, just focus on the words that you can understand. Just focus on that, and then just keep building on it. And that was one way that they encouraged us. Another way um, was in Nicaragua, uh, the area that we lived wasn't known exactly for being the cleanest. And one of the things that we struggled with was parasites. And I know that sounds nasty, um, but it was right over the time where uh, a number of us were sick, and Bob and Medea came, and Bob looked at us, and he said, I know exactly what's wrong with you. And we'll, it was one of the first days that we were there, and he's like, we don't have time today, but tomorrow I'm going to take you to town, and I'm going to get you everything that you need. And the reason he knew that was because he had experience. And I remember going to town, and he took us to this shop, and he said, all right, we're going to do this. And he took us over here, and he said, we're going to do this. And we went to the pharmacy. He got the medicine for us. He told us how much to take and how often to take it. And he said, in this amount of days, you're going to see this result and everything else. And it was such a blessing to have them there because they knew what we needed, and they helped us, and they encouraged us. There is a need on the mission field for older couples. There is a need for people who have experience, who are seasoned, to go out and to minister. As I look at the words of Christ, and he talks about the laborers being few, there are some excuses that people can make. I don't feel called. Maybe it's not the right time. But I believe that there are a couple other reasons for the, for the shortage of laborers. One of those things 
And this might be one of the top reasons, is fear of failure. You know, I'm afraid to put myself out there. If I can be honest with you, um, our church is planning to start an outreach in the city of Lebanon, and I have visions of people right there in the city coming to church, feeling welcomed, feeling like they're part of the church. But you know what I'm scared, scared of? I'm scared that in 10 years from now, it's just going to be a bunch of other Mennonites getting together and nobody from the city actually being part of it. So I could look at that and I, say, I can say, well, that's what I'm afraid of. And so the easy thing would be to just sit back and say, you know what? Somebody else can handle it. Somebody else can do it. I don't believe that we should use fear as a motivator in keeping us from reaching out into the lives of people. You and I as Christians are called to go out and to share the gospel. That is our calling. We are called to share it. And if it takes root and grows in the lives of individuals, in the lives of people, yes, it's tied back to us sharing the gospel, but the growth of that fruit is not directly dependent upon you and I as Christians. I believe that is the work of the Holy Spirit, where we spread the seed, and as that seed takes root in the lives of people, it can grow and it can produce fruit. We can't let fear of failure keep us from sharing the gospel. We share it and we allow God to do the rest. God is the one who will give the increase. The other thing that I see in, in terms of missions and people going, one of the things that I hear from people is the idea of, of other cultures look really daunting. I remember conversations that I had with people when my wife and I um, were talking about going to Nicaragua. And one of the things that people often ask us, well, doesn't another language just look really, really scary? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. It did look really scary. It looked very overwhelming. But as we, you and I go out and as we embrace other cultures, there is something exciting about going out and, and meeting other people in other parts of the world. There's something exciting about learning from their culture and learning who they are as individuals. I don't believe that we should look at cultures as something that's that's daunting or scary. Maybe that's my adventurous side coming out. I don't know. But we should look at other cultures as an opportunity. We can learn how other people live. We can learn how other people think. And you and I can use um, the experiences that we have in those cultures to speak into their lives. Other cultures don't need to be daunting. The other thing that I find interesting in our world today which I view as a tremendous opportunity in terms of cultures, is you and I don't have to go far to see other cultures. There are many other cultures who are coming to us right here in America. We don't have to immerse ourselves in their culture. Today in the world that we're living in, their cultures are coming to us. And we have an opportunity to share Christ with them. 
Another thing that going out and serving Christ involves is the idea of sacrifice. And for many people, as they weigh the option of maybe I'm looking at it in terms of cross-cultural ministry right now, but as we look at this idea of, ser- of staying here and serving Christ where he's called us to, and then the idea of going out specifically, kind of like James is doing, they look at it and they say, well, the sacrifice is just too great. There's too many things um, that we'd have to give up in order to go do that. As we look at that, and I ask the question of what sacrifices are we talking about, what are those things that really hold us back from going and serving Christ cross-culturally? As I look at our Western society, one of the things that I see is you and I, as Western people, place a high price on comfort. As Americans, we're willing to pay just about anything to be comfortable. Um, So when it comes to the idea of going out and serving in other cultures, yes, there are sacrifices that we're going to have to make. Yes, there are things that we're going to have to give up. But as we look at the, the calling to go out and share the gospel, isn't it worth it for you and I to give up the small comforts that we have in America to reach the lost. There is a harvest. There are people who are ready to hear the gospel. The trade-off to me seems small. One of the other things that I see which can be difficult for us as Americans is the idea of financial sacrifice and going and giving of ourselves and the financial sacrifices that we have to make. Now, I think there's a way to solve that, and I alluded to it earlier. If we get the older people to go, some of the older people to go out and serve on the mission field, they're at a place financially where they can do that. But at the same time, I believe there's a place for us to be willing to give of ourselves financially to go and serve on the mission field. And James, I want to commend you for your willingness to sacrifice on that side. Because I know that as a young man, you have an opportunity right now to earn a lot of money. But you're choosing to go and serve God where you feel he has called you to. And that's commendable. You and I are called to give of ourselves to sacrifice things. And the question is, why are we giving up of those things? Why are we sacrificing them? We're not doing it for ourselves. We're not doing it just because, well, this is the thing to do. We're doing it out of our love for Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, Verse 36, Jesus says this, and he's talking about um, the idea of harvesting and reaping and planting. He says this in John 4, 36, He that reapeth 
receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. This morning, it doesn't matter where God has called you to. It doesn't matter if God is calling you to stay right where you are, to go to another culture, to go around the world wherever. God has still called you as a Christian to be faithful in service for him. You are called to be one of the laborers. And Jesus here in this verse says that there are going to be those who sow and there are going to be those that reap. Both of them are going to have a reward. And he says very clearly in this verse that both of them are going to rejoice together. There is joy in serving God wherever he has called you to. More than anything, this morning, I want you to stop and think about your life and think about what Jesus is saying here about the laborers being few. Are you a laborer? I think every person who has been saved is called to be a laborer in some way or another. For you and I as a Christian, as a believer, is there anything more exciting than sharing the gospel with somebody, seeing that seed take root in their heart, seeing them come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and seeing their life changed? Is there anything more exciting than that? I don't believe that there is. As you and I think about being called to be a laborer and think about the sacrifices that come with that, when you look at the joy that comes from a person being saved, it makes the sacrifice completely worth it. This morning, I want the focus to not be on the sacrifice but to be on the joy of seeing a lost sinner come to salvation. That is our focus. That's what you and I are called to do. Jesus ends Matthew chapter 9 by saying that you and I should pray that God would send forth laborers into his harvest. You and I this morning, each and every one of us, whether God has called you to be a laborer here or a laborer around the world, you and I still have a responsibility to pray that God would raise up people who would be willing to go out into the harvest to meet the need for laborers. Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous. It is ready. Are you and I willing to be a laborer in the vineyard of God, to go out to share the gospel and to see the results of sharing that gospel in the lives of other people. Let's bow our heads to pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, you have given us a great calling to go out and share the gospel. And we as Christians, or we as people, can sometimes step back and we can list off all the reasons why we think that right now or isn't the time to go or 
or the reasons why we think that you should call somebody else. God, all of us are called to be laborers as Christians. You have called us to be your ambassadors. And as we think about all that you have done for us, God, just that alone should excite us to go out and share the gospel with other people. God, I pray that you would raise up people to go out and to share the, the good news of salvation, that there could be a bountiful harvest. And I thank you for the congregation here at Myerstown and their vision for missions and their vision for sending out people. God, I pray that you would bless them as they send out people, and specifically this morning, as they think about sending out James. God, I pray that you would use the life of James in a mighty way to touch the lives of the people in Asia. God, that people could come to a saving knowledge of you. And I pray that the congregation right here, back at home, could see the results and the rewards that James is seeing and recognize that any souls that are saved as a result of James being sent come back to this congregation, and what a blessing that is. God, I pray that you would give them a continuing vision to reach the lost. God, you have not called us and saved us to just keep it to ourselves, but you have called us to share it with others. God, may we be faithful. May you raise up more laborers to go out and reap the bountiful harvest. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.